We hung up the phone. My wife and I sat down on her parents' porch and we prayed. We said, Lord, please open up a furnished apartment for us. That'd be amazing. We said, amen. Phone rang. What? It was Searle. He said, maintenance guys just walked in here. You got yourself a furnished apartment. At that time, I looked at my wife and I said, is there anything else we need? Because <laughs> the Lord seems to be answering yeah. expediently. Yeah. So now's the time to ask. Welcome to the Tove Podcast. Today, I'll be sharing a conversation I had with Jared Hall on his podcast titled Hall Talk. With everyone tired of the election ads and endless negative news cycle, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about God's generosity, His goodness, and His faithfulness. Psalm 145, verses 4 through 7 say the following. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. I hope you enjoy hearing some stories of God's goodness, His care and generosity, on this 64th episode of the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Levi, thank you so much for joining us on Hall Talk today. We want to get started with just asking you some questions so people can kind of get a feel for who you are. So first thing out of the gate, what's a little known fact about you? Yeah, a little known fact about me. So, well, first, thanks for having me, Jared. Hey, it's Uh, my pleasure. Appreciate it being on Hall Talk here. Uh, I would say little known fact, most people uh, that know me um, are aware that I played college football for Taylor University. Nice. But I would say the little known fact is that after football, I actually played competitive racquetball for several different years. I didn't even know that competitive racquetball was a thing. It's definitely a thing. Really? Oh, yeah. You can get pretty serious about it. Okay. Yeah. Is there like a professional? Yeah. Each So each state generally has its own league. So okay. I played uh, in the Indiana State Racquetball League. Yes. Uh, but there's also U.S., racquetball league where you have guys that are just excellent in fact they had the u.s finals in chicago one year and i came and watched them here really yeah and so what brought your career to an end (laughs) (laughs) uh actually it was a back injury was it really yeah it was a back injury. my back was just really killing me um and you know honestly i was putting way too much time into racquetball okay and i think the lord used the back injury to kind of slow me down in racquetball kind of adjust pivot turn your attention yeah yeah and so do you still play today well sometimes um, my wife and i will head in together because she played competitively as well in the women's league what so we would travel around we were on the circuit they would say you guys were the power couple (laughs) and uh, sometimes we play mixed doubles too um so sometimes we'll go in and just hit a few balls but sure uh, just for you know remembering the old time's sake Right. Uh, But no, we don't generally play much anymore. I played one time. I got hit by the ball a lot. (laughs) 
And I called it. I just said, that's good. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That was in fifth grade. <laughs> you got to watch out for two things. The, the ball. ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the other person's racket. Oh, yeah. 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 Especially when you got four people on the court when it's mixed doubles. Yeah, because the courts, they're not getting any bigger. No. Okay. No. Okay. Awesome. All right. So how do you drink your coffee? So I drink my coffee with cream. Nice. No sugar. And sometimes iced, sometimes hot. You fit in so well with Israelis. <laughs> That's probably where I picked it up. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. I always felt like I, in America, like I felt manly drinking my coffee black. And mm-hmm. then I went to Israel and I was like a barbarian. Yeah. Not putting any cream in there. Yeah. Like I'm unsophisticated. So you're always a step ahead. <laughs> Very well done. All right. So what do you do for a career for a living? So I have the privilege of uh, working with Life and Messiah International. Uh, This is an organization that is laser-focused on evangelism, discipleship, and teaching, Mm. and specifically regarding around uh, sharing God's heart for the Jewish people. That's amazing. And so Life and Messiah has been around since 1887. Uh, They've uh, been fulfilling this mission that is uh, near and dear to 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 the heart of the Lord. So... What got you involved there? So I'll actually share just a little bit about that uh, a little bit later. But basically, we went to Israel. Okay. And we just expected for it to be a nice trip and then to move on to the next adventure. But we returned to the States from Israel with a burden that we didn't expect. Mm. Yeah, when you go to Israel, crazy things happen, right? Yes. The Lord does unexpected things. Yeah. Okay, if you weren't doing this... What would be a dream job of yours? Well, that's tough because I'm definitely doing my dream job. I understand, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a dream job of mine if I was not doing this. You know, actually, I think I would really enjoy selling real estate. Really? Yeah. I okay, l- didn't see that coming. I love beautiful properties. Sure. I love talking to people. Right. And I love the art of the sale. Ah, I can see it now. I can see it now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So where did you grow up at? I grew up in a uh, very small town um, from the time I was born until I was eight. Okay. I was in a very small town in Indiana called Grover Town. Now, when you say small, like how small? A few hundred people. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, small. More of a village. Right. And then when I was eight... So the, I would say the formative part of my years were in another small town, but bigger, called Bremen, Indiana. And uh, if you're wondering where that's on the map, it's about 30 minutes south of Notre Dame. Okay. So south, south of South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in that neck of the woods a couple times, but I couldn't have ever pulled that place out. Yeah. Okay. And then... Um, when you're growing up, who's or even in college, who's a who's a favorite teacher of yours and why? Who who's impacted you? Well, definitely, my most favorite teacher uh, is Dr. Michael Rydonik. Uh Mine too. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah. I no one has helped me with Bible reading in yep. general more so than Dr. Rydonik. Um, he, what, what, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, what Dr. Rydelnik really helped with and what I am passionate about helping others with as well now is just really the boundaries of Bible reading. 
Yes. I was telling my wife the other day, if, if we just get the boundaries in place, like, you know, when you read about Israel, it means Israel. Like, that's a boundary. You don't have to wonder. That's right. Yeah. And then, you know, the plain sense makes the most sense and so forth. If you just have that framework, all of a sudden the Bible comes alive for you and you can understand the Bible. That's right. That's so right. anyhow, Dr. Rydelnik really helped me with that. And um, as well as in really seeing in Scripture God's heart for the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always tell people I took hermeneutics, but I learned my hermeneutics from Rydelnik. For, and so for those listening that don't know what the word hermeneutics means, it's uh, biblical interpretation, your methodology for how you interpret the Bible. And so I'm like, I should have learned it in hermeneutics, but I learned it in my classes with Michael. So, yeah. yeah. Is there, was there somebody inspiring in like elementary school or high school that comes to mind that was a standout to you? No. No. <laughs> nope. Uh, okay, what are three adjectives you'd use to describe yourself? I would say passionate, mm. uh, positive, yeah. and punctual. Punctual. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like the alliteration, too. That's very good. Yeah, and I'm not even a pastor. I was going to say, you could be a Baptist <laughs> preacher right now. Yeah, you already got the qualifications. All right, we're going to head into the lightning round. A couple quick questions, gut reaction, feedback. Okay. okay. Star Wars or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. ESV or NASB or Secret Option C? Secret Option C. Which is? HCSB. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely hung out with Michael. <laughs> uh, Android or Apple? Apple. Cake or pie? Pie. If you guys were going to go out for dinner pre-COVID, uh, were you going to dine in? Or grab something to go carry out? Dine in. Excellent. And then uh, you guys grill? Gas or charcoal? We have both. You have both? Yes. Look at that. Some man with options. Both free, by the way. Right. One we got for free on Craigslist. The other one was sitting out by the side of the road, and we kind of restored it. So Was that the charcoal one? We got the charcoal one on Craigslist. Oh, okay. We restored the gas grill. Nice. All right, so you're at a theme park. Are you on the rides or are you waiting for people on the bench? On the rides. Nice. And then uh, last one, and I don't even have to ask you this one because you already gave me your pee. Are you uh, having a meeting? Are you a little bit on time or are you a little bit late? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably on time. Right. You're one of those people that if you're not five minutes early, you're late. You got it. Got it. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org. Levi, as we were getting to know you, you shared that you'd traveled to Israel, that God had started to turn your heart towards ministry for the Jewish people. So can you share a time when you were in Israel and God started to get your attention for what he wanted to do with your life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's definitely one definitive uh, instance where I remember that happening quite clearly. Uh, this was actually our second trip to Israel. It was in the summer of 2010. And there was a small team of us that were doing uh, ministry outside in the southernmost city of Israel, which I know you've been there, Elat. And Elat is hot in June. Oh, oh. 
So we, we'd been out there for uh, quite a while. And so we decided to, to go into a small cafe, get something to drink, refresh ourselves. And our team is, we're sitting around this small table and this young Israeli girl walks up to our table. And she says, hey, you guys have the only outlet in the restaurant and I need to charge my phone. Do you mind if I sit down with you? So, you know. Like, are you kidding? Come on. Exactly. This is what we're here for. And so we invited her and uh, she sat down and we just had some small chat at the beginning. You know, we're enjoying Israel. We're from the United States of America. Who are you? Where are you from? About how big is your group? Like how many? There were only at that time four to six of us. Hmm. So a small group. Yeah. Not intimidating. Not intimidating. You know, there weren't 30 of us. Right. So after a little while, we started to share with her why we had come to Israel, because we loved the God of Israel. We loved the scriptures, which were preserved and and written by the people of Israel. And we loved the Jewish people. And she had not really heard this before. Mm. Like a lot of Israelis, she was used to watching the news where generally, with a couple exceptions, the majority of the world has disdain for you. Right. So she really appreciated that here we were a group of Gentiles declaring our love for Israel and the Jewish people. So she was, uh, she was taken aback by that. And then, I'll never forget it, our team leader uh, took the opportunity to begin quoting some scripture to her. And as he was quoting the scripture, I could see it. Tears were filling up in her eyes. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Uh, is everything okay? And so he finishes whatever portion of scripture he was quoting. And she looked at us with tears in her eyes and she said, I am embarrassed that you know my scriptures better than I do. That hit us hard. And at that time, Jared, I had no idea what was happening, happening in the spiritual realm and that actually a principle found in the Bible was playing itself out. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 11, Paul writing says, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel unto jealousy. That's right. And that's what was happening there. She was provoked that here we were a group of Gentiles claiming to have a personal relationship with her God through the Messiah of Israel. We were claiming to know her book and she was provoked unto jealousy. And I didn't know it, but that is a specific principle that God has set up that Gentiles are to be living in such a way so that our Jewish friends see us and they desire what we have. And uh, that was a pivotal moment. Um, I would later just continue to look back at that moment. And in fact, we would see that principle play itself out multiple times on that same trip. We were in Israel for three weeks and we just shared our faith with people uh, from north to south. And uh, it was a, a special time. How did the conversation wrap up with the gal? Well, I think she accepted some literature from us, if I okay. remember correctly, yeah. and you know, promised to continue to investigate and, uh, and to read some more. And I don't know where she's at now, but I hope that she's in a relationship with the Lord. Amen. Yeah. A lot's a good city, too, because you can point people towards the shelter, you know, because depending on where you're at in Israel, sometimes... There's not a lot of good options for where yeah. to point people, but yeah, that's yeah, right. That's a good city for that. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. 
So Levi, you're the executive director now of Life of Messiah, but you haven't always been in ministry. So so share a little bit about the journey that the Lord took you on to get from where you were to where you are now. Yeah, well, it was quite an interesting journey. Uh, my wife and I, uh, during the first four years of our marriage, were in uh, business. Uh, my wife was a catering manager, yeah, and uh, I was working uh, several different positions in the sales and marketing world. And then we went on this trip I was telling you about to Israel. Right. And Jared, we returned from that trip expecting to check Israel off the list and move on to the next big adventure, whatever that was. What we didn't expect is that God would give us a burden that mm. would stick with us. And we had no idea what to do with this burden. We were very unfamiliar with the world of Jewish ministry. We didn't really have Jewish friends except for the Lord himself. And so we just started reading everything we could get our hands on. Israeli history, Israeli culture. We looked at the Bible differently now, all that stuff. Right. Well, as the Lord would have it, Life and Messiah, they sent us a job description in, I believe it was October of 2010. Okay, so not long after that trip not that we long just thought. Yeah. Not long after the trip, they sent us a job description uh, for kind of an entry-level position into the organization. And I looked at the job description, and it was leading trips to Israel, sharing God's heart for the Jewish people, teaching the Bible, all these different things. And I looked at my wife and I said, if we had all the money in the world, this is what I'd want to do with my time. Right. So let's try it with no money. <laughs> <laughs> and so we called Life and Messiah, uh, and I talked to the to then executive director, and he said, wonderful, that is great, I'm so happy. And normally... I would say the typical experience of someone joining an organization is that you have a kind of a runway. Sure. You know, maybe even up to a year where you transition out of things and you begin to raise support, all that stuff. Well, to my surprise, uh, the then director said, we want you in Chicago in a month and a half. Whoa. And we want you to start studies at Moody Bible Institute because they have a Jewish studies program. Wow. Wow. That's a short runway, right? That's a yeah. short runway. And here we were working full-time jobs, and we were mm. just going to quit and go to school again? Like, I'd already graduated from Taylor University six years ago, and now I'm going back to school? But I knew we needed the mm. training, for sure. I knew that we needed it. And so I said, well, that's fine. Uh, we'll apply to Moody. It's going to take an act of God to get us in, because it's November. The, right. de the deadline to apply was back in October. So this has got to be a God thing. So by the time we got our application, filled out our application, we drove to Chicago uh, all the way to Moody Bible Institute on a cold Chicago day. And there was probably one secretary on campus, it right. seemed like. And we handed our application to her and we said, Lord, this is in your hands. Uh, within a week, Moody had gotten back to us and said, you're in. What? And we had spent a lot of time on in prayer during that time. And... That was really God's affirmation that, yeah. that we just all of a sudden got in. They said, so we got you into Moody on the condition that you don't need on-campus housing, right? Because there's no room as spring semester is about ready to start. So we said, that's fine. It's just amazing we got in. We'll live at Life and Messiah headquarters, which is around an hour outside the city, depending on traffic. We were just ecstatic that we could get in. Yeah, in a, in a week. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. Um, it's time. We're packing our things up. We're starting to make the transition. 
And where were you living before? So we were living in Mishawaka, Indiana. Again, not a place that I'm is by with. South Bend, Indiana. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay. And we were living in a lady's basement because we were trying to Dave Ramsey get out of debt like oh, a gazelle. Oh yeah. Okay? She was charging us three hundred bucks a month. Nice. Now we didn't have any. Fur- we really didn't have any furniture at the time. Sure. It was all her furniture. Yep. So we're supposed to be going to Moody, and I think, well, wouldn't it be great if we could live on campus? Because we're going to be living at the office, and it's an hour away. I said, you know what? Let's just call Moody just to see what's the worst that can happen. So why I decided to call on New Year's Eve, I don't know. Normally, <laughs> but I called on New Year's Eve, and as the Lord would have it, who was in his office besides the housing director? Later, he would tell me he had no idea why he was in his office that day. At the time, his name was Searle, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So, so I said, Searle. The Lord had him in his the office. The Lord had him. Yeah. yeah. I said, Searle. We got into Moody. There's no on-campus housing, but if something opens up, we would love that. I mean, I don't care what it is, furnished or unfurnished. He said, you're not going to believe this, but five minutes before you called, someone just canceled for the semester. You got yourself an on-campus, unfurnished apartment. Wow. That's amazing. Another shocking thing. Yeah. We were shocked, but yet it was the Lord's small affirmations that we were walking in the path, the scary path, by the way. Absolutely. You know, when I told my boss at the time that I was going to be leaving and I was going to go to Chicago and I had no idea how provisions were going to happen, he said, do you have any idea what you're doing? I said, no, but I'm trusting that the Lord does. Right, right. So a few more days go by. We're ecstatic that now we're going to be living on campus. And I think to myself, we really don't have any furniture. Wouldn't it be great if a furnished apartment opened up? So it's about two days before we're supposed to drive to Chicago. And I decide to call Moody back. And I talked to Searle. I said, Searle, really appreciate that unfurnished apartment opening up. But if a furnished one opens up, that would be amazing because we don't have a lot of stuff. (laughs) He says, well, in order for that to happen, you know, we're really in crunch time here. He said, it's early in the afternoon. The maintenance guys would have to get back to me by four o'clock today. Otherwise... It's too late. It's a no-go. I said, no problem. We hung up the phone. My wife and I sat down on her parents' porch and we prayed. We said, Lord, please open up a furnished apartment for us. That'd be amazing. We said, amen. Phone rang. What? It was Searle. He said, maintenance guys just walked in here. You got yourself a furnished apartment. At that time, I looked at my wife and I said, is there anything else we need? Because <laughs> the Lord seems to be answering yeah. expediently. Yeah. So now's the time to ask. So, you know, to top it all off, we drive to Chicago two days later. And where had the Lord placed us besides in an on-campus apartment building that was half full of Russian Jewish people? That's right. We had no idea. Jenkins. Jenkins Hall. Yep. We had no idea. The people that were there. And so for the whole year that we studied, which was a wonderful year of training yeah. under uh, Dr. Michael Rydelnik and his wife, Eva, we were able to minister to our neighbors, some of whom we're still very good friends with a decade later. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's an amazing story. Yeah, it's only the Lord. Right. You know, and it wasn't like there weren't hard times. And you know what? Throughout that whole year, we weren't getting a paycheck from anybody besides for the you know, there were several folks that heard about our story and said, wow, we want to become partners and so forth. Right. But we never missed a meal. Mm. We always had a riff over our heads. And the Lord provided every step of the way. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Levi. That's an encouraging story. 
of the Lord's provision and the Lord's direction mm. and what it looks like when someone is willing to take that one step at a time. Like he wasn't showing you the full roadmap. Nope. But one step at a time. And also a good story of like you have not because you asked not, right? Like you guys were like, okay, like we're going to ask the Lord and then we'll make the call. And I ask the Lord for everything now. That's right. That's uh, right. Our, the, our Life in Messiah's global ambassador, Wes Tabor, mm-hmm. always likes to say, I'd hate to get up to heaven one day. And the Lord shows you all the different, you know, things that, that you have. And then there's a huge pile oh. in the background. And you say, Lord, what's that over there? And he says, well, that's all the stuff that you could have had, but you never asked me for. That's perspective right there. <laughs> so, yeah. I just figure, what's it going to hurt? Right. You know, yeah. and, and we have the parable in scripture of the persistent. That's right. You know, the persistence of just knocking, 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 knocking. And so I think the Lord actually enjoys hearing from us. Amen. Awesome. So Levi, there's a lot of people I've met with who would like to do ministry, who would like to be involved in missions, and the idea of uh, raising support is always a hurdle for them. It's a mental block. I'm sure you've seen it as well. Um, What would be a story you could share that would uh, maybe half scare someone and half encourage someone towards what the Lord's able to do mm. when when you're following his path. Yeah. Well, to your point, we were definitely scared mm. when it comes to support raising. But because we knew that the Lord had called us to serve with life and Messiah, right. we knew he had called us to this work. We also knew that he had called us to support raise. And uh, through a wonderful program called Kingdom, Kingdom Come Training, we were trained on the biblical mindset of, uh, you know, raising up prayer partners and financial partners and so forth, yes. which was super helpful and uh, actually allayed a lot of those fears. So there was a, a point uh, several years into ministry when I think we had already reached 100% support by the Lord's grace. When we heard from a very large supporting church, they they supported us to the tune of $5,000 a year, which when you're not making tons of money to begin with, $5,000 is a lot of money per year. Um, And so it was interesting. Uh, They told us that this was going to happen just a few months before they cut it off. So they they had the grace to say... A little bit of notice. A little bit of notice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, And so we said, you know what? Normally, we would include something like this in our, in our newsletter, and we would let people know, hey, there's going to be major support dropping off, so if you feel so inclined, maybe pray about increasing your support or something like that. But we just actually sensed, no, let's just keep this to ourselves, mm. and let's just pray. And so we didn't put it out there, and we just prayed, and we said, Lord, you know what's happened here, and you ultimately have all the provisions we need. So we were into December and we had a meeting with a few different people and they decided, hey, we want to join you. We sense the Lord uh, is asking us to be a part of your team and they joined us. And so also throughout that time, there were just a couple people that decided to increase Mm. and just a couple new partners, but we didn't know exactly what it would all be. So it's nearly Christmas and my wife and I are driving in Florida. Mm Mm-hmm. And after two more people said, we're going to join your team, my wife did all the math. (laughs) And I said, well, what are we at now? And she said, well, between the people that are increasing and the new partners, 
That brings us to $416.67 a month. Increase. I said, okay. And she said, well, if you times that number by 12, that's exactly $5,000. Wow. I said, come on, let's run the numbers again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's double check the math. Let's double yeah. check the math. So we did, and sure enough, it was exactly $5,000 without anybody knowing. Without the people that increased knowing. Right. Without the new folks knowing. We didn't share it with them. Right. And it was just a confirmation that God knows the very pennies. That's right. The leading and the guiding. He, leading and the guiding. And we were simply just faithful and obedient and God provided everything down to the last penny. And so I hope that story is an encouragement. Whether you raise support or whether you have a uh, quote-unquote 40-hour-a-week job or you, you know your paycheck's coming, either way, God is the provider. Yes. And uh, I know, Jared, that with COVID and a lot of unemployment right now and everything, there seems to be a lot of stress and anxiety relating to finances. And I just want believers to know that God sees everything, mm. and He cares. He knows down to the very penny what you're getting and what you're not getting. And if you have a need, He delights you to ask Him for it. That's right. That's an awesome testimony of answered prayer. Thank you, Levi. Mm -hmm. Levi, in the introduction and getting to know you, you shared a little bit about the influence that Michael Rydelnik had had on you in terms of helping you establish uh, guardrails for biblical interpretation. Have you had any life experiences that reinforces the importance of having guardrails or what it looks like when you don't have guardrails when it comes to reading the Bible? Mm. Well, I think there are a plethora of examples of what it looks like to not have a guardrail, mm. ranging from the Blood Moon books to the Harbinger series and everything yes. like that. Things that make for a great read but aren't necessarily uh, consistent with their hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. On a personal level, uh, I have an experience uh, that, that happened to me uh, quite a few years ago, actually. This was before I was married. I think I was either in college or just afterward. And um, I had some good friends I was hanging out with uh, during the summertime. And there was a, a gal who was hanging out. And, uh, you know, we were good friends. Yeah. And uh, we would just do fun stuff together that kids do. And she brought me aside one day. And uh, she opened the scriptures, okay. which I thought was interesting. Sure. Maybe... She was learning something, and she proceeded to tell me that she was praying and reading the Bible, and God had pointed out to her a certain passage that indicated to her that I was supposed to marry her. Oh, okay. That's kind of what I said. Yeah. Um, a little shocked, because I certainly did not share those inclinations. Because uh, you guys have just been hanging out as a group, right? Yeah, it was yeah. a group, total right. group thing. Yeah. And then, do you remember what passage she happened to be in? I wish I did. I want to say it was one of the prophets. You know, of course, yeah, of course, because you can always twist the prophets. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, she said, you know, I this right here says, you know, to me that we're supposed to get married. Um, and so, thankfully, I handled it okay. You know, I didn't. Right, you weren't offensive. No, I try not to be offensive. I think I said something along the lines of, you know, that's interesting, and God's going to have to reveal that to me, mm. which I think is fair. Yeah. Uh, he never did. This goes back to you being a positive person. <laughs> that's, that's probably true, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, but... So, how did you close that door for her and her biblical interpretation? I don't think I knew enough at that point sure. to address the idea of... 
well, let's talk about your hermeneutic. And, right, and right. the plain sense here is, you know, that's historical context, and it's not saying that we're supposed to get married. Uh, I think maybe I just had that sense. Uh, that was my intuition. Right. But I could not have explained all that. Right. Uh, so I think I just probably politely said, you know, we'll see if the Lord reveals that to me, and then we continued being friends. Uh, it didn't harm the friendship, thankfully. Right. And just to be clear, this woman did not become your wife. No, no, <laughs> no. I am. I'm very thankful for uh, the wife the Lord did provide, uh, who we've now been married for over 14 years. Do you think she tried that with like a lot of guys? That's a great question. I mean, I'm just thinking that could be an interesting tactic to be like, okay, let's pull this guy aside and. Yeah, I think there are probably men and women who use that oh. as a tactic, just as there are men and women who use the twisting of the scriptures for a plethora of other tactics out there, right. whether it's... Uh, getting, for their own personal benefit. For their own personal benefit, whether it be relationship manipulation mm-hmm. or financial uh, benefit to them, whatever yes. it might be. Yeah. That is a good example of how not to find your future spouse. Yes. So for everyone listening, if you're not married and someone comes to you with the Bible open and says, this is telling me that I'm supposed to marry you, Say no, thank you. That's right. And then sign them up for a class with Mike Rydelling. <laughs> <laughs> Levi, this has been really, really good, really, really refreshing to have you on Hall Talk. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, follow up with you, uh, where can they find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? If they want to connect with Life Messiah, give them some some information on that. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage folks to check out the Life and Messiah Facebook page. Or they can visit us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Awesome. And you have your own podcast. Yeah, that's what they tell me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I do have a podcast, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. We just do a lot of of talk about the Bible. We just just explore the Bible, kind of like you do on Hall Talk. Uh, but it's Tove podcast. Tove Tove is the Hebrew word for good. Yes. And so folks can just go to Tove T O V podcast dot com. And anywhere podcasts are found. Yeah, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. Awesome. Thanks, Levi. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks, Jared. Well, I hope you've enjoyed hearing these stories of God's goodness and faithfulness. After all, it's because of His great goodness that this podcast is named Tove, the Hebrew word for good. If you know of someone else who would be encouraged by these stories, please do share the link with them. And let's remember the sage advice of Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. As the world struggles through a pandemic, regional wars, and social unrest, let's remember to delight ourselves in the Lord. Until next time, Shalom.